we spent talking uh, specifically about the second commandment and its relationship to our discussion with regard to Christianity and the arts. And we found some very important things there as we uh, talk specifically about visual art. And uh, I think this is probably the last week we'll spend talking about visual art. Um, some new developments even within the last week in the world of visual art that, that I'm excited to talk about. Um, but uh, I want to kind of give us a, a sense of why the things we spent the last few weeks talking about are so very important. Remember, we, we discussed the difference between thinking about art for art's sake versus art for God's sake. We talked about uh, the importance of understanding what the second commandment is teaching and what the Bible teaches about the importance of art and artists. Remember last week we looked at the artists that were, uh, were gifted and commissioned by God to do the artwork that was necessary in order to uh, build the tabernacle, and then we see uh, the follow-on there onto building uh, the temple. And so in all of these things, we discover that the Bible itself has a lot to say about the importance of art and the beauty and the craftsmanship uh, that it, it takes to make good art and that it matters to God. That not only the art itself, but the quality of the art and how it is uh, put together matters to God. Well, as we think about these principles and seek to apply them in our own lives and here in the 21st century in Western civilization, um, how have those principles that we've talked about, so I know some of you haven't been here, so um, uh, it's, uh, there, we've spent several weeks talking about uh, these biblical principles of the arts, and now we're going to think about them in relationship to visual art and the progress, or uh, progress uh, usually assumes that things have gotten better. Um, I would say the regress of the arts uh, in many ways in Western civilization. So um, you're going to get a little bit of a, a short uh, art history here, but, um, but I think that's necessary as we think about this. So um, just in terms of culture, when we think of modernity or modernism, and the transition into modernism or the industrial revolution or um, the enlightenment period, whatever you want to call that time, I prefer modernism, um, what was the transition away from and what was the transition toward in modernism, if you have any idea? Right. Good. Derek. Even kind of taking it to the next level, there was a rebellion against um, rationality, too. Mathematics, um, all of the symmetry of the classical period was kind of thrown out in this idea of like neo modern. You don't need God, you don't need order. 
Yeah, good. And, uh, and so as you think about this, the, the big thing to keep in mind, just as a general overview, is this move into modernity, as these guys are saying, is a move away from a common worldview, the world over, that there is, uh, there is a work of the supernatural always going on. Now, whether that is God, as we know God to be from the scriptures, or God's, or a God, or whatever the, the case may be, is that's, that's, not, uh, that's not the main thing here. It's that there was an understanding at least of some kind of supernatural, that, that there was a nod given to the divine. And so this, this que- these questions that are being raised about where these things come from in the world or how it's happening or why it's happening, um, even those who were not particularly invested and any kind of faith or faith tradition would still say that uh, they, they believed in God and they believed in or a God and in so doing they had a sense that uh, God was in control of these things. And that was what the world, the known world, believed. Um, it, there was really very little question about that. And then the move into modernity, the move into the Enlightenment is a move into uh, looking at everything, as they were saying, from a perspective of how can we describe this um, from a perspective that we would say is God's natural or general revelation. How can we look at nature and describe everything as a result of what's going on in nature? So, um, uh, as Sam had mentioned, gravity being an example. Well, yes, and we would all agree there's a scientific explanation for gravity, but as Christians, we go beyond that, right? We would say it's not just that gravity has a scientific explanation. It has that explanation, and it is what it is because God created it in that way. And he put the earth where it is and created the atmosphere in the way that it is and the spin of the earth, all the things that play into how gravity works are all as a result of God sovereignly decreeing that these things would be the way that they are. Again, prior to modernity, that would not be questioned to any great extent uh, so far as people understood how those things worked. Uh, But modernity was a move to say, well, we have the natural explanation. That's all we need. And if that's all we need, then we start to question everything else that's related to this idea of faith, this idea uh, specifically in the West of Christianity. And so that very much begins to work itself into um, uh, the education, into uh, what we're going to be talking about specifically is the arts. So you think about, uh, I, I like to uh, think about the transition from things that, uh, that make sense, that make logical sense, and they begin to pull away from making sense, and uh, not making sense in modernity, and especially as we get into post-modernity, is, uh, is a virtue in itself. So, uh, who knows, you, we've all seen this image, right, uh, that I have up here, it's called American Gothic. Uh, this is the kind of art that this is, is called realism. What is realism? The name kind of tells you. Yeah, it's an image of something uh, that is portraying something that's real, right? 
Uh, now, obviously, we look at that and we know that's a painting. It's not, uh, it's not to the realistic quality that some things are that we look at and we say, man, I don't know if that's a photograph or if that's a painting. It's not to that level, but uh, nevertheless, we look at that and we see, we see an image and we can sort of place it, right? Where would you place this image geographically? Yeah, good. Some, some Midwest town uh, on a farm, uh, probably uh, during around the time of the harvest or planting season, whatever that might be, right? Um, we, we, have, we have a place, we have a time probably. This, uh, you look at the house and their clothing uh, were probably uh, early, late 19th, early 20th century, sort of thinking around. The, so in these, in these elements, we can look at it and we, we have a lot of information, right? And so this is... Uh, this is a sort of representation of what you would see before uh, the time of modernity. That our art was something that you could look at, you could recognize, you could identify certain things about it uh, prior, to, um, prior to it ever going to a place where you just had a lot of questions that couldn't be answered about it, right? Um, and this is a very famous uh, painting, obviously. Uh, you think of something like this. You may recognize this, this image again. Uh, not looking at it and wondering if it's a photograph by any means. We recognize that it's a painting, but, uh, but there's a lot that could be asked about it, but overall we have a general sense of what's going on, right? We have some men on a small sailboat called the Flirt. That's the name of the art, art piece. Uh, they're sort of out for a, they're out for a stroll in their, in their boat out on the waters, right? No question about that. A lot of questions could be asked in terms of uh, wanting to think about this. Maybe what were they, what were they, why were they there, what were they trying to do, all of those things. But um, that's part of the discovery here. But again, we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder what the artist is trying to convey for the most part here, right? Now, another famous piece of artwork uh, as we move into... Uh, excuse me, sorry, I forgot this one. Another sort of realist, impressionist painting here. We know what's going on, right? But what about this? We've all seen this, right? Anyone know what this is called? Yes, this is called The Scream, 1893, Edward Munch. Now, Throughout history, we've talked a lot about beauty and how the Bible defines beauty and trying to define beauty uh, as that which uh, is defined ultimately by God because God is all beautiful. Well, in the midst of that, we recognize also that the world in itself, because it is, in, is fallen, is not all beautiful, right? Not everything in this world in its fallen state is beautiful. And artists have recognized that and have sought to portray that uh, but the difference is that in sort of pre-modern ways of doing so, they did it in a way that we could look at and still say that the artwork itself was beautiful, that the artwork itself was crafted well, that it was done in an artistic way that is still recognizable, it is still conveying something of reality. So as we begin to move into the world of modernity, we start to step 
away from realism, from reality. Now, we're still trying to communicate a message of some sort, but we get to a place where we move away from art communicating a message, but the art itself matters, to a place where the art starts to lose its place in mattering, and we start to move to where the message is the main thing that's being conveyed. And there's a big difference here that's important, especially as we think about this as Christians and how messages are communicated to us and why they're communicated in the ways that they are. And so artists have always recognized that things on earth are not always beautiful. However, the portrayal of the ugly or the broken throughout realism relied on traditional approaches. And now uh, we, we start to see in the scream, for example, uh, this, this move towards something new. So if, if truth is that reality is horrifying, right? That's the idea. Reality is a scary place. Uh, it's, we have this disenchanting swirl. Uh, and so form and content now have to sort of express this feeling. So what's, this is still like early modernism, so we still have some things we can identify. What, do, what is assumed here by what's going on? What do you have a sense of is going on here? Yeah, you out on the water somewhere, I think, yeah. Two ships ready to collide. Okay. All right. What else? Yeah, either that or, um, or it's not a sunset at all. Maybe the sky is on fire or something like that, right? So, but you're seeing like now all of a sudden, we didn't really have these kind of questions in the last few images, right? We didn't have to say, is that a sunset? Is that fire? Is that water? Is that a pier? What is, what's going on here? Right now, all of a sudden, we're starting to step into a world where things aren't making as much sense. Now, in large part, that's what the artist is trying to convey, that things don't make much sense. What's that? <coughs> uh, perhaps. There's this sense of, of fear, this sense of upset, this sense of the horrifying and so the form and the content here are beginning to work towards something. Yeah. Right, that's a great point because now, uh, now we're starting to move. Even though modernism was very much about discovering truth, Right? We're not yet to the place where the whole concept of truth itself is discarded. But early 20th century, late 19th century, there's still a sense that truth exists and it needs to be discovered. Except now we're trying to discover it through methodology as opposed to looking at revelation. And so that methodology is something like this, the scientific method. If I just do the formula correct, put the numbers in the right place, uh, the answer will come out and that's where we're going to be with that. Um, the artistic world, though, was moving a little, bit, uh, a little bit faster in terms of getting to a place where we don't have these concrete uh, conclusions so much. So then we get things like, uh, like this, Pablo Picasso. 
I'm not going to try and pronounce the name of the painting. I don't speak French. Uh, But if the truth is that reality is fractured and empty, then both form and content must express that. So, okay, so we have an image. We can tell there are some human bodies there, but how is this made? It's made out of fragments. It's made out of pieces as opposed to a whole. And so we get the sense that, yes, humanity is, in a sense, broken or or the other way you could think about that, made up of different parts and pieces that influence who we are. Uh, but again, we're stepping away from the realistic, right? Now we're into other forms. Now we're into other style. Um, who knows who painted this? He has a lot of stuff that looks like this. This is Salvador Dali. Now, By this time, we're getting into the mid-1900s, the work of Sigmund Freud really started to influence the world. Well, Sigmund Freud had a lot of very strange ideas. And if you don't know anything about Sigmund Freud, um, his influence on Western civilization is uh, is, is much stronger than any of us realize. Uh, We talk about things like the subconscious, or the ego and the id and all these, these are all concepts developed by Sigmund Freud. Um, you ever hear the, the, the term a Freudian slip? Uh, that's from Freud because he believed, he had this sense, he had this idea uh, that everything in life ultimately is about your dreams and is about the sexual. And so this was sort of what uh, Freud was doing at the time, uh, psychologically, in his writing and research, and the artist started to take this on. And so Sigmund Freud wrote this work called The Interpretation of Dreams, and all the artists thought, well, this is the greatest thing ever. Now our art is going to reflect what we see in our dreams. And so there's, there's nothing realistic about it at all. So uh, this is a piece by Salvador Dali, and it's called Dream Caused by the Flight of a Bee Around a Pomegranate a Second Before Awakening. That's the name of the piece of art. Um, so we have a body, we have lions, we have a goldfish eating a lion out of a scorched world, an elephant with very long legs walking through the... Wa- I mean, what's going on, right? And so... Again, we're, we're moving further away from realism. In fact, we're so far away from realism now that we've entered into the world of dreams. And not, not, trying to, uh, not trying to even make sense of what they are, but simply to portray them in an image and say, well, this is what I saw and this is what I'm going to paint. So, uh, now, okay, we can look at that and say, well, it's interesting um, it's, uh, there's a lot of questions maybe that get raised as a result of it. But what purpose is it serving? Now, again, I want us to go back to that question we were thinking about uh, last week. Are we doing art for art's sake? Or are we doing art for God's sake? In terms of doing art for God's sake, what does this portray? What's that? Nothing. Exactly. Right? This is all about the artist. This is all about what he sees. This is all about what he is imagining. This is all about him, right? And Salvador Dali would have told you straight up, my art is about me and what I think and what I imagine and what I want you to 
be able to see about what I think about myself. And that goes back to that question we asked about, uh, about defining what an artist is last week. An artist seeing themselves, and oftentimes, if they're not doing art for God's sake, often seeing themselves as the creator, as the artist who is a, a type of, of God in their own minds because they're able to develop and create in their minds out of nothing, which we know is a nonsensical claim. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, you think of something like this, and we'll see this as we progress even more into uh, sort of the odd and the ugly. Um, that even in these things, we can't. Con- we can't even conceive of these objects that are being portrayed without tying them to something that is real, right? So as hard as we might try to get away from reality, which is the quest of man in his own mind and in his own heart as he wants to suppress reality in order to get to a place where he can sort of create his own world to live in, well, the, the harder... As hard as we might try to do that, we still are based in reality. As strange as that is, there are still plenty of elements there that we look at and say, I know what those things are. Well, we can continue to progress. So who knows what this is? Yes, Michelangelo's David statue. I cropped the image appropriately. (laughs) But what is David trying to show us in this statue? When he made this, what was the point of it? What's that? Yes, good. The ideal man. And I might say, he's a good-looking fella, right? The hair is off. I agree with that. Uh, but otherwise, he's, uh, he has what, what Michelangelo is showing us is uh, this, this form, this body, this human And the humanity of him is being represented to show uh, what God has created. As Maggie said, the ideal man or the man that is being shown to us is that which God has made for his glory. And whether or not he uh, embodied that philosophy himself, Michelangelo would have not disagreed with that. That this very much is what he was after. And this is, this is David, not just some random David. This is David from the Bible. What is he carrying in his hand? Yeah. This, we, have, we have something of a, of a biblical imagery being portrayed here. And so uh, with most art, as we talked about historically prior to modernism, uh, most of it was either commissioned by or supported by uh, the church or Christians to, uh, to portray things of uh, the sacred world. Um, and things like this are a part of that tr- tradition. And so there's no question, though, right? We don't have any question. As soon as I showed it, we knew what it was, we knew who it was, and we, we can talk about all of the things that are uh, about this statue that are, are real and uh, we're talking about dimension. We're talking about shape and size, and and all of those things are very important. Tyler. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Oh yeah. No, very much so, because they were, uh, and we'll get into this a bit more, what they're communicating is, is less about the art itself and more about the message that they're trying to communicate. And that's what was being celebrated, because that is, and when I say celebrated, it's not among uh, the people generally like you and I, or the, the couple in the Midwest in, uh, in modern Gothic, but rather um, is uh, the, the avant-garde, the, the, uh, the, the self-proclaimed elites of society and the, the messages being communicated. So in that sense, yes, very much celebrated. Um, so what does modernism do with something like the statue of David? Well, something like this. This is the modernist approach to David. This is supposed to be the same thing, but from a modernist perspective. Now, why do you assume that is what the modernists would look at and say that is superior to what Michelangelo did? Any idea? <laughs> One might think, yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah, Casey. Yeah, well, um, I'll answer that and I'm going to jump on what Steve said here. Um, yes, because the goal of modernism ultimately, they said in terms of art, was to extract everything out of art that is unnecessary in their minds. And so the more we pull out that is unnecessary, and the reason they're doing this, so if you look at, for example, we look at the statue of David, and we look at that and say, well, yes, we identify that it is a man, it is David, uh, he has a muscular stomach and big arms and all these things, but we know that's not a man, that's not a real human being, it's just an image, it's just a portrayal. And therefore, uh, the fact that it's not real, we shouldn't even try to intimate that it's real in any sense, and so we need to extract the reality out of it, this real, realism, and just give, a, just give some shape to identify that there's something there and allow ourselves to deal with the most base, the most, uh, the most elemental parts of this in order to determine that that's what this is. And so, yeah, we could look at that and probably say, well, there's something of a, of a person trying to be portrayed there. But nobody's going to look at that on their own and say, oh, yeah, well, that's uh, supposed to be Michelangelo's David. Um, so, yes, they would find it superior because they find uh, that their goal is to get down to the lowest common denominator among these things. Um, some would even say that uh, that's too much. Let's just get a marble slab and sort of chisel off the sides a little bit and so there's a different shape to it as opposed to a, a block of marble and then we'll just uh, call that uh, David. Now, this gets to, I'll get to you in a minute, Sean, this gets to what Steve is saying. What are they doing, really? They're extracting humanity. The humanity of all of this is being pulled out, right? American Gothic, humanity, 
uh, flirt, men on a boat, humanity, a woman in the field with her umbrella and her child, humanity. All of a sudden, we have elephants with long legs and lions being eaten by goldfish. Nothing of the truth about a world of humanity. All of a sudden, we have a beautiful statue, an artistic masterpiece that portrays the ideal man, if you will, and now we extract all of the humanity out of it. Because what have we done in modernity? We've taken God out of the picture. Right, exactly. Yes, to not be in conflict with oneself, we have to acknowledge the work of a creator in order to acknowledge the truth of humanity. The fact that we have a soul, this was what has always been understood up until this time, that we have a soul that should be cared for and nurtured and, 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 uh, and worked on. Um, and yet, uh, when, when we get to this time, we don't want to have to deal with that. We don't want to confront that because it conflicts with this worldview uh, that that doesn't matter because God's not there. And so what are, the, what are the smallest amount of elements that can be used to portray this thing we want you to see? Sean. Um, in something like this, yes. Now, there's all kinds of other, and I'll show you one more example here. Right, so then we get to, again, remember the premise is it's a painting, it's a picture, therefore it does not show us what's real, it's only a representation of what's real. And so let's step back from that even further and say, since it's not real, and even though you're calling it realism, it's not actually real. So we need to keep pulling back, pulling back, pulling back until we just have some kind of veiled, blurred something that sort of portrays what you're trying to portray that we can make our own minds up about it ultimately. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about a moving target. Yes. I mean, it's going to keep getting worse, and maybe that's why we get some of the shocking type stuff we see today. But, I mean, who gets to decide that? Who says that, okay, this isn't good enough, we need to just go to the Yes. Moment. Our next example is going to show exactly what you're talking about. Ethan. How do we get from here to someone That's next. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> Casey. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Absolutely.
Yeah. In the modernist tradition, yes. Hundred percent. Great point. Absolutely. Uh, Sam, you had something. Right, we just want the elements that make those things up, but not the humanity of it. And apparently, what happens when you do that yeah. is you then lose any real reason to care about those things. Sure, and art becomes ugly. Let's just say it. It becomes ugly. That's okay to say. As Christians, we need to, instead of going to an art museum and looking and pondering and saying, oh, I wonder what... No, that's ugly. It's, it's, or it's dumb, Right? So here's how, here's how reductionistic this gets. Now we want to pull out everything we can that we find unnecessary. So let's pull out the art altogether and just do this. I'm not going to hang a picture of a rubber ball on the sea. I'm just going to write the words of that on the wall. Art is gone by the end of modernity as far as they're concerned. And the man who commissioned this for a lot of money in an art museum said, I don't care what color the text is, I don't care what the font is, but this is what it's going to say. And people from all over the world flocked around to come and look at this and in awe and admiration. Yes, this, right, this is an art, this is in an art museum. <laughs> Shot, no, they were applauded. This is brilliant. These are geniuses, right? What's that? Uh, let's see, this is now, uh, on a part of it is on display at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., this was done in 1969. So the end of modernity comes to where we extract, we extract, we extract until we say, well, there's nothing to show at all. Let's just write it down. Yeah, exactly. Just sit in a dark room and listen to people talk about things. So at the end of modernity, and we're, we're about out of time, so I just want to get into this idea. Sam brought it up. We're moving now into this new time period of post-modernity, uh, mid-20th century, and certainly well into the 21st century onto today. We get things like this in architecture. So the whole idea now is... Okay, we don't want to do away with everything like the moderns did. We want to add elements, but we, we certainly don't want, uh, we don't want the, the worldview of modernity where there are things still being discovered uh, and we're calling it truth and objective and reasonable. Because we live in a world that's not uh, objective and reasonable in our minds, and so we don't have truth, we have truths. We don't have the objective, we only have the subjective. We don't have reason, we have reasons. 
Right? And we talked about this several months ago. And so this is the postmodern ideal. And so now when it comes to building uh, architecture, we don't want something that anyone would look at instinctively and say that that is something that makes sense. No, everything on here is intentionally placed in a very random-looking, unintentional design. How can we defy reality? The problem with something like postmodern architecture, of course, is you can only go so far with it, right? Uh, I have yet to meet a postmodernist that wants to live in a house that had a postmodern um, engineer design the foundation for it. Uh, yeah, a house without floors, right? Uh, things dropping off randomly. So this is a very famous um, house in, uh, in France that was built uh, by a postmodernist who wanted to, to show these things. Sorry, not uh, France, Vienna, Australia. Austria. Uh, Australia, yeah, Austria. Um, who knows what this is? Girl with the balloon. Yes, Banksy. Banksy is a, uh, a London street artist, yet to this day unknown and yet worth millions and millions of dollars. And so his art is a rebellion because it's all street art. All of his stuff is done out on the walls in the middle of the night. Uh, it's, it's graffiti. Uh, but it has become very famous. Uh, people have gone in the middle of the night to cut out the artwork from the wall and sell it for millions. And so Banksy, last year, because, again, postmodernism is all about the message now. We've gotten away from the art altogether. Remember, art disappeared in modernism. And so now it's not really about the art. The art is a means to an end, and the end is portraying a message. And what is that message? Well, it's rebellion. And so, well, yeah, in terms of the image, yes. Right, he's still, he's still unknown today. So what did Banksy do? Well, he wanted to show the absurdity of the art world and the fact that people are, um, are spending too much money and time because the problem in the world is capitalism. The problem in the world is money. The problem in the world is that people, uh, and it's all these, these social uh, sort of um, commentaries about uh, about what matters and what doesn't. And so Banksy uh, allowed this piece of art to be sold at an art auction. It sold for $1.4 million. And the second the gavel dropped at the auction, he or someone who works for him, nobody knows, was in the audience, and they pushed a button, and the image dropped through the bottom of the frame and started to shred in front of everybody to their horror and to some delight. Well, what happened was that uh, the paper shredder malfunctioned halfway through, and it stopped just like that. And so half of it is shredded and half of it is not. And again, to much of Banksy's disgust, this has now been renamed and is worth more than it sold for in the first place. And so postmodernists would look at that and they pull their hair out because we're trying to, we're trying to object, we're trying to rebel, and yet you people... You just keep stepping it up. Well, it says a lot about the people who spend that kind of money on such a thing. And then we get things like this. A rebellion. Who do you think that's a rebellion against? The president, right? So, uh, a golden toilet. This. This sold for millions of dollars. That's not real gold, by the way, so it's not worth millions of dollars in materials. But it's a, it's a political... Uh, statement. It's a social statement. 
And so we want to add value to it until we see something like all of us probably observed in the past week, which is this. Ah, the banana taped to the wall. Every year in Miami, there is, a, uh, there is an art show, and it brings uh, supposedly the greatest of the up-and-coming artists of our day, and they all come, and thousands of people flock from all around the world to go to this art show and to stand around and look at these things. And this was this year's highlight, just last week. A rotting banana duct-taped to a white wall. He did three of these, and two of them, within the first hour, sold for $120,000, and the third is now worth, in their minds, $150,000. It is a banana that he bought from the grocery store with a roll of duct tape and tape to the wall, and so now um, is... uh, over a quarter million dollars of work. That's a great return on your investment, I might say. Yes, let me go grab it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. What, what's, so, art for art's sake, right? In the name of art for art's sake, just a couple of days ago, This was still on the wall. It hadn't quite rotted completely. So a performance artist came, pulled the banana off the wall, and peeled it and ate it in front of everybody. But this is performance art now. Art for art's sake, right? And so now the... the, the museum, the gallery, uh, what curators of the the art museum, they're saying, well, the, the thing is not about the object itself. The people are buying the certificate of authenticity. And so what really they're paying for is them saying that at one point in time they owned the banana itself, but now they own the memory of the banana taped to the wall. Now, this is absurdity. It's utter insanity. But here's the point and why we've gone through this, this, uh, this trail of history through modernity into postmodernity. When you want to extract the reality of God and humanity from your worldview, this is how it ends up. And there are pictures of people five, six, seven deep standing and staring at a banana taped to the wall taking photos on their cell phones. You can go on Instagram and see hundreds of photos of this. Why? I can go produce that right there. And so we get to a place of absurdity. The very thing that God intended art to be has been extracted. And we have gotten to something that we say, this is majestic, this is masterful. Why? Because someone told us to think that. And that, honestly, is the the question that I think everything we've been discussing is driving at. Sure. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so, remember... Remember, we talked early on about 
looking at all of this, one of the questions we have to ask is, what's the point, right? Why? That's exactly right. What is he doing? He's exposing something, right? The golden toilet was exposing something. Um, the more grotesque of postmodernism. We talked months ago about um, one artist um, putting his own feces in um, tin cans and selling those for $40,000 a piece and displaying them in art museum. What is he doing? He's exposing something of the absurdity. Now, um, this man's not a Christian, and so his worldview from which he's basing that is very different from a Christian worldview. But the question stands, could a Christian do this seeking to portray the right message, understanding what that is, and revealing to mankind, here is the extent to which your heart will go apart from God. I think so. I think so absolutely. But again, the motive and the reason why all is a big, a big part of when we look at that, how we come to those conclusions. Um, Yes, that's what is being displayed, portrayed in this. But what is the motive for doing so? It's, uh, I assure you, it's far more political than it is um, biblical. Uh, so we're going to, we're out of time, so we're going to stop there. But uh, I want to pick up on this idea a bit more as, uh, as we go into next week. So let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, again for our time. Uh, Lord, we, we've seen so many things this morning, and uh, as, uh, as interesting as it can be to look at this history and to consider these works that have uh, come about in, uh, in the hands of mankind, we recognize, Lord, that true beauty, true forms of art are to be done for your sake, uh, to uh, to speak to something of your nature, your character, your attributes, and your beauty, because you are all beautiful. You define what that is, and we have a sense of what that is because you have created us in your image. And so while man in his fallen state seeks to destroy your image, we desire, Lord, in our hearts, our greatest desire, our greatest longing as your people is to repair what is broken, to walk in truth and goodness and beauty as you have defined it, as you have made known in your word, as you have revealed to us in the scriptures and most importantly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we now go into a time of corporate worship, we pray, O oh God, that it would be done for your glory that you would receive all the glory this morning, that our hearts and our minds, our eyes would be set on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that in all that we do, you would be pleased. We pray you would do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.